All right, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, we're going to part three of a sermon series on David, a man after God's own heart. And we are this morning going to be in 1 Samuel. Uh, we're actually going to start off in chapter 18 and look at a couple of uh, verses and some other chapters in 1 Samuel uh, today. But I want to begin with this incredible truth out of Proverbs. Lean into this. Proverbs 18:24 says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I love that about Scripture. It says again, a man of many companions, somebody who knows a lot of people and has a lot of connections, and he might come to ruin. But there's a friend. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The worth of one trusted friend compared to the multitude of acquaintances. Is it not true? I mean, you can be known by a lot of people, but to be loved, to be really known, to be cared for by one true friend, it surpasses any popularity test. I mean, you can be the coolest, most popular kid in school, and everybody knows you, and you got a bunch of acquaintances, but if you got a good friend, you got a gift from God. Scripture also will say this, a friend loves at all times, a friend, a true friend, loves at all times. And it goes on to say, and a brother is born in adversity. I mean, when things get bad, those friends who are really your friends, who are loving you, they become more than friends. They become like brothers because they're carrying something that no one else would carry. They're seeing something that no one else would want to see. They're loving you through your lowest, darkest moments. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful reality of having that friend. This morning, we're going to look at one of the greatest friendships of all times. It's a friendship of biblical proportions because we find it in the Bible. Uh, it's amazing. It's a friendship between David and Jonathan. And we're going to look at the reality that this is not a friendship that should have naturally happened. As a matter of fact, there should have been a lot of animosity between these two. I mean, they, they really should have struggled. Uh, but instead of that, uh, God did something that only God can do. He knit their hearts together, uh, knit their souls together. And David and Jonathan had a friendship that would endure, a friendship that would conquer, a friendship that, against all odds, uh, you're going to see the beauty of this friendship. But really, for us to understand the friendship of David and Jonathan, we got to, again, have a little bit of background. So just humor me for a minute, stick with me, jump in with this, because the story won't have context unless we put it in the bigger story. So let me say this. Remember, we're looking at the life of David, the most important king in the Old Testament. And it's always been God's design to love, to lead, to govern, to defend his people. It's always been God's design to love, lead, govern, and defend his people through a godly king of his own choosing. And as you read through Scripture, you're going to find out that ultimately— that king that God desires to lead, love, defend, protect his people, that king ultimately is going to lead to his son, Jesus, and all the fulfillment, that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. So if you're reading through the Old Testament and you're reading about the kings, some are going to be good and some not that good, but none of them compare to Jesus. All of them point to a hopeful king that is to come. But it's always been God's design for that for his people. And David... David is this one who has a heart after God. He's a man after God's own heart. And God is going to choose him and say, David, you're the one. You're the king of my own choosing. Uh, and then he makes a promise to David that's it's almost, it's almost comical. 
God's going to say to an earthly king, David, a king of Israel, he says, like, well, through your line, through your family, there's going to be a kingdom that comes that has no end. There's going to be a king who comes that will forever sit on the throne. And, you know, again, I, I've talked a lot about what's happening in England right now, and, and with Queen Elizabeth's death, we could see how unusual it was for her monarchy, for her, her, her reign to be that long. And it seems to be continuing to some degree. But a kingdom that lasts forever? Uh, only that could be fulfilled in Jesus. Only that promise that David, that God would make to David in his line, the realization of that promise is Jesus. And remember, most important, as we study the life of David, remember the goal is never to emulate David. The goal is not, now there's things we want to be like him and probably do some things, but the goal of Scripture, when it holds somebody up, is it's like, hey, I want to be like Joseph, or I, I need to be like David. Well, no, you really got to worship Jesus, and you got to worship the one that David points to. So that's, that's the goal, is for us to look at David and really see beyond David to the one who is to come, and that is Jesus. And I love what Scripture says about Jesus. Jesus is David's son. He's going to come in the line of David, in the line of Judah, but he's also David's Lord. And you have this really cool relationship with one who will eventually be son, but who is ultimately Lord. If you want to look at what that looks like, look at Psalm 110. So, but we got to realize that David, although he is this chosen king, he is not the people's first choice of king. As we looked at a little bit a couple of weeks ago in 1 Samuel, that the people ask for a king, and they ask for a king like this. They say, hey, listen, we want a king like all the other nations. So here God had rescued his people out of slavery. Here God had given them their own land. Here God is in their midst. And what do God's people say to God? Hey, thank you very much. We love the fact that you love us for some reason uniquely in all the world. No, they said, no, you know what, God? We want to be like everybody else. We want, we want to think like they do. We want to act like they do. We want, we want our priorities like them. They got big kings that defend them. So can we have a king like the other nations? This broke the prophet Samuel's heart. But God said to Samuel, listen, don't let it break your heart. They're rejecting me, not you. They're rejecting my choice of, of king. So what happens is the, the God's people, uh, they choose a king after their own choosing. And when we choose, our choosers are broken. Remember that, our choosers are always broken. If we're going to choose anything apart from asking God to help us, we're going to go astray because all of us are broken. They chose Saul. And of course they chose Saul. He was a head and shoulders above everybody else. It was like picking a basketball team. Who do we pick first? Who's the tallest dude? You know, who's the guy that's the biggest with the biggest muscles? Let's, let's, let's look at Saul. We want somebody to defend us. Look at that guy right there. He's, he's going to defend us. Let's have Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Well, God, it didn't take long. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. It didn't take long for, for God to say, not you, Saul. Saul, you know, you got no heart for me. You don't really know me. You don't listen to me. You don't obey me. I give you some instructions, and you just do your own thing, and then you're going to make excuses. I reject you, Saul. I reject you, and I'm going to choose one of my own. I'm going to choose David. And so God chooses David um, and he has, uh, David is anointed by the prophet Samuel. Uh, so this is, now get this, Saul is still king, and, and, the, and the prophet of the day, a guy named Samuel, is told, hey, by the way, I'm done with this one. 
I need you to go anoint somebody else. That's like treason. That's, that's dangerous. When a king's on the throne and, a, and the main prophet's going to go and anoint somebody else king, you know, it's terrifying. But David is anointed king while Saul was on the throne. Now, David and Saul's relationship is one of the most volatile, weird relationships in all of Scripture. It starts off great. Saul, you know, he had some issues, and he, he would be so troubled and have a troubled spirit that somehow the only person that could kind of soothe that is when David came and played. And David came, and he's like, man, okay, I get it. And then when Saul had the biggest giant uh, in his life uh, threatening his armies, it was David who came and, and killed Goliath. So you think that David uh, would be loved by Saul, but he wasn't. It started off great, but David would become Saul's enemy. Why? Man, Saul was jealous. You know what jealousy can do? You know what jealousy can do to your heart? Saul became jealous, and he became paranoid of David. He, he became paranoid. He said, man, this guy is rising in the ranks. And he tries to kill him multiple times, tries to take him out. And David, he too has opportunities to kill Saul, but he won't do it. He's a godly man. He said, no, this is still God's anointed. How can I do this and bring him harm? So Saul and David, they're going to become bitter enemies. Saul's going to chase David all over the promised land trying to kill him. But Saul has a son named Jonathan. He's the heir apparent. He's, he's the one who's going to be next in line. He is the crown prince of Saul, right? And after David kills Goliath, Saul was jealous of David, but Saul's son Jonathan loved David. It says in Scripture he loved him as his own soul. I mean, that's just kind of hard to figure out. you got two dudes that really, I mean, this is not a weird relationship. This is not something that has been embraced by others in the community. This is true Christians, two brothers, really loving each other and becoming best friends. Okay, so that's the background. But there's three things I want to show you in this. One is this unusual relationship. It's an amazingly unusual relationship uh, that, that Jonathan is going to have with David. It's in a costly relationship. Uh, this is going to be costing Jonathan dearly, uh, David as well. And it's going to be an undying loyalty of, of friendship. So we're going to pick up the story. Uh, Goliath has just been killed. We're going to pick up uh, 1 Samuel 18. I'm going to read uh, 18, 1 through 9. We're going to skip to uh, chapter 19 and read 1 through 7. A couple of verses in 20 and a couple of verses in 23. But what I'm trying to do is this. Look at the picture between David and Jonathan and their friendship. Hear the word of the Lord. 1 Samuel 18, beginning in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul, Jonathan's father, the king, took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. He just killed Goliath. Then Jonathan made a covenant, a pact with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. Man, they love serving David. Verse 6. 
As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another uh, as, as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have, have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. He was jealous. He, did, and he would eventually continue to try to pursue and kill him. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 19, 1 through 7. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they would kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to, uh, to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he's not sinned against you, because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hands, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul, at this point, listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and David reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Chapter 20, verses 16 and 17. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. And then lastly, uh, Samuel 23, verses 15 through 18. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Harash. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Harash and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, remember, this is the prince, uh, this is the crown prince. Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, know, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this amazing picture of friendship, this unusual friendship, this costly friendship, this undying loyalty of a friendship. And God, we thank you that you've made us for a relationship with one another. We thank you that your word commands us that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. But God, we fall so short. But God, as we look at this friendship, God, we thank you for the friendship that we have with you because you are a friend of sinners, Jesus. 
Oh God, would your spirit come and would you give us ears to hear your voice in this message? Would you give us minds that would understand your word? Would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth? And would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? God, the things that I say that are wrong are just merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said in this sermon of, of David and Jonathan that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. The first thing we're going to see in this amazing relationship is really an unusual friendship. And it really was unusual. And again, I don't know about you. Are you sick of the news coming out of England about the royalty yet? I mean, it's amazing. Every day something pops up and they want to tell you who's angry with who and how they are relating and all these things that's going on over there, all the pomp and circumstance. To me, it just sounds a little bit like noise. It sounds a little bit like, you know, what in the world is going on? Uh, for those of you who are, are from uh, uh, England originally, I'm sorry for that. But it's uh, for Americans, isn't it sound kind of weird of to think about these royalty. But it's been interesting to see the news is filled with the exploits of the royal family. Who's in and who's out? The relationships within the royal family. There's a new king. Anybody know his name? King Charles. There's a new Prince of Wales, Prince William. And then there's Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan Markle. Or how do you pronounce her name? That's it. Fills the tabloids. Where do they fit in? Are they in? Are they out? Are they good standing, bad standing? Being a part of the royal family apparently is very complicated. And I bet you there's hardly any normal relationships, you know? I mean, a normal friendship with royalty, how do you do it? Well, Jonathan and David, they had to overcome that as well. Because it was an unusual friendship with royalty. Jonathan is the crown prince. Jonathan is the heir apparent. Jonathan is Saul's oldest son, and he is the one who rightfully has his father's throne. He is that crown prince. And then you got this guy, David, who's been anointed by the prophet Samuel. He's the anointed king. He's the future king. So you have God's choice, and you have man's choice. You have these two that really should be bitter rivals. And rivals become soulmates. Only God could do that, right? I mean, rivals could become soulmates. Uh, they, they should have a disdain for one another, a fear for one another. Certainly Saul fears David. Certainly Saul thinks, uh-oh, this is a threat to the throne. I mean, Saul, he got upset because the, the women came out dancing around saying, man, Saul killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. You hear what they said about me? They only, they only gave me thousands. They gave David. I mean, so here he is in a pity party saying, I, I, I got to get rid of him. I got to get rid of the competition. I got to clear the way for my son. I got to make sure that there's no one in the way. And this David's in the way. And I'm going to get him. And yet these rivals become soulmates. It's interesting what scripture says. In 18, on those first few chapters, it says twice, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. I mean, these aren't just acquaintances. I mean, these aren't just, you know, occasional drinking buddies. I mean, these are those that like, hey, your life, my life, you know, your identity, I, I got your back, rain or shine, good or bad. I mean, knit together, uh, uh, their souls were knit together. It says that Jonathan loves David as his own soul. Huh. I mean, that's amazing. Jonathan loved his rival neighbor as himself. 
Man, what an unusual friendship. I want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the long-awaited king that was to come. Jesus is God in the flesh, the eternal one. And you know this about Jesus? You want to talk about unusual friendships? The one who's the holy one to come, the promised one to come, the promised Messiah, he's a friend of sinners. And it just blew everybody away. This can't be the Messiah. This can't be the one we've long awaited for because he's hanging out with the town drunk. And he's hanging out with the town prostitutes and tax collectors. This guy is a friend. This guy's comfortable within a really rough crowd. Can this possibly be? I love the fact that he had the most unusual friendship is between God and flesh and sinners. Listen to what Luke uh, chapter 7 verse 34 says. The Son of Man, this is Jesus, he came eating and drinking. And by the way, it's comparing Jesus to John the Baptist who didn't come eating and drinking. He was a, a, a forerunner to Jesus. He said the kingdom of God is his hand. Jesus is here. Look to him. And John was a guy that, man, I, I'm fasting. I'm not going to eat the wrong things. I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm pure. Um, and Jesus is hanging out at the parties. Uh, he's eating and drinking. And they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunker. I mean, this guy goes to parties. He's eating stuff. He's drinking stuff. Rumor has it. He went to a wedding that ran out of wine, and he took some water and did some crazy stuff over it. And it was the best-tasting wine ever, and it was lavished upon him. I mean, this is, this is Jesus. I mean, he's, I think he's drunk. I'm not sure. He's talking about some crazy things. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So this is what it's saying. And again, tax collectors to us doesn't really register. But these are people that were probably Jewish, that were working for Rome, that were making their living saying, give to Caesar, cough up your coins. Um, you got to pay your taxes. But not only did they collect taxes, they also lined their pockets with extra, give me a little bit more. I mean, these are traitors. These, these are the ones that are making a living being a traitor to your people. And Jesus is hanging out with them. They're like, man, this can't be the Messiah. Talk about an unusual friendship. Jesus, the Holy One, the Sinless One, friend to sinners. Let that sit in. Jesus, the Holy One, the Sinless One, friend to sinners. Hit pause. Has the enemy whispered in your ear that you're disqualified from God's love? Has the enemy whispered in your ears or has a mirror told you that you've just done too much to be really loved by God? That you're not good enough? That somehow you're disqualified? This is Jesus, friend of sinners. This is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. And as far as lost as they are, and as dark as it was, Jesus would go there to come and get us. Jesus, friend of sinners. It's all reflected in his father's love. His Father's love for sinners. How can a holy God love knuckleheads like us? Well, look at what Romans 5, 8 says. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what it means. The Father didn't say, listen, you got to straighten yourself up. you got to really get better because I want to send my son to come. you got to clean up your act because it's a miserable. You know, if you want to come, you got to make sure your life's a little bit better, a little cleaner. He said, no, 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 while you're still sinners while you were running the wrong way and you had zero desire for God's grace and love, he loved you and he came after you. 
And he came after you and, and through the work of his son. I mean, talk about a mystery. You have a holy God who hates sin. It burns. It burn, his wrath burns against sin. But who loves sinners enough that his son would become our sin. I mean, that's, that's love. That's eternal love. And that's the love the Father has for us. That's the love the Son has for us. It is an unusual friendship. Do you know Jesus is friend? The second thing is, it's a costly friendship. I, I love that Jonathan was an advocate for David. I mean, throughout Jonathan's life, he kept standing up to his dad, standing up to, no, 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 David's a good dude, man. He's, he's God's man. No, no, no. He, he's won great victories for us. He continually was an advocate for David. He continually stepped up for his rival. I mean, here's somebody he easily, like, throw a little dirt that way, and it looks better for Jonathan, but no, no. Saul tells Jonathan the first time that he wanted to kill David. The first time he brought his son in, hey, listen, we got a problem here. Everybody loves David. He's, he's going to get in the way. We're going to take him out. And, and, and Saul's like, whoa, 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 dad. Don't you remember that Goliath deal? I mean, this guy has done nothing but bless you. He's done nothing but bless your kingdom. How in the world can you shed innocent blood and kill him? And it looks like Jonathan talked his dad off the ledge. His dad makes a vow he won't keep. Okay, I swear, I won't kill David. Verse 19. But Saul, the next time, says, listen, I'm not going to tell Jonathan. My son's a little soft. My son doesn't like this. I'm not going to let him know. I'm going I'm to go ahead and kill David. Uh, I, I'm going to keep him out of the no. He's going to have this done. And David hears about it. He's like, hey, Jonathan, man, your dad's after me again. He's like, no, he's not. My dad won't do anything without telling me. This is chapter 20. It's beautiful. He's like, no, no, he's coming after me. And so they, they, they worked together a really cool plan. They said, listen, there, there's this new moon festival coming, and dad's going to expect you to be at the table with him. Um, and they, they say, listen, take off. Uh, don't come, and I'm going to see how dad reacts. And if he's cool with you not being there, we know everything's okay. And if he's not cool with you being there, we know something's up. And they, they have this little cool plan where I'll come out to where you are in the field. I'm going to shoot arrows in a certain direction, and I'm going to let you know what's going on. And the first night that, Saul, that David's not at the table, Saul's kind of wondering, hmm, he must be unclean. The second night he's not there, he's like, where's, where's the son of Jesse? Where's this David dude? Oh, Jonathan said, he asked for permission to go back home to Bethlehem. He had something to do and take care of there. And Saul gets so ticked. He tries to kill his son, Jonathan. He's like, are you kidding me? You are a perverse son. You are, you are a moron. I mean, this was a costly relationship. He lost his father's respect. Listen to Saul's words, okay? Saul just finds out that David's not coming to the festival, uh, to, to the, the, the dinner. And here's what he says to his son. Then Saul's anger was killed, uh, kindled. Uh, this is, by the way, 1 Samuel 20, verse 30. I'm going to read 30 and 31. Then Samuel's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. What a great way to start. Throw his mother under the table, you know? I mean, just make her the problem. You're, you're a son of a perverse, rebellious woman. It's her fault. Do I not know that you have chosen, you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? I mean, you're friends with him. This is going to be to your shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, and he will surely die. 
Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. This is his own son. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month. And he grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Talk about a loss. I'm going to be friends with David. I'm going to commit to him. But I'm going to lose my dad. My dad's going to lose respect for me. He's going to think I'm soft. My dad's going to even try to hurt me and harm me. Oh, what a loss. And it's a loss of a future kingdom. He says to his son, and it's right, listen, as long as Jesse, the son of Jesse, as long as David lives on the earth, man, I'm going to tell you right now, your kingdom is done. It'll never be established. But David had a friend in Jonathan who was an advocate for him. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is an advocate for sinners. Jesus always stands up and pleads for sinners that are his. I love it. And Jesus was willing to lose his reputation. This is God putting on flesh, coming to earth. And he's willing to be called a glutton and a drunk and a friend of sinners, some 'er ne'er-do-well, some some loser who's crossing the street and going to the wrong crowds. This can't be the Messiah. How could a religious person love sinners this much? And he lost respect and reputation, especially with the religious crowd. He was known as a friend of sinners. He was known as a drunk, as a glutton. And he lost riches. I love what Scripture says, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, and it's basically saying, though he's very God, creator God, owner, proprietor God of all things, though he rightfully is on the throne as God, he owns all things. Though he was very rich, yet for your sake he became poor. There's this emptying out. He would put on flesh and become a man. And not just a man, but a servant. And he'd become obedient to the point of death. He became poor. He had no house. This is Jesus. I'm going to come to earth. I'm going to become a man. I'm going to experience all the temptation you have. I'm going to experience loneliness. I'm going to experience a hunger and thirst, betrayal. I'm going to experience it all. I'm going to empty out myself. Why? So you and I could be rich. Talk about a costly friendship. So that through his poverty, through his emptying, through his bleeding, through his giving, through his dying, we could have life and life abundantly. He lost his riches, but he did more. He lost his father's presence. I mean, this is eternal God. For the first time in all eternity, something happened. It was the hell on the cross that the first time that the father and son, first time in all of eternity, were separated from one another, because the son who's becoming our sin and a holy God can't look on it. He's got to turn away. And he pours his wrath upon his son. And his son who is dying on the cross for you and me cries out to his father in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemon, sabbatini. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the only time in scripture that father and son don't have this intimate relationship and he cries out, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why? So we could gain access to the Father's presence. Amazing. Jesus experiences the loss of his Father's presence so that we could be ushered in. 
an unusual friendship, a costly friendship. And then we see an undying loyalty of friendship. It's interesting that, that Jonathan gave David his undying loyalty. He, he made a covenant with him, which is more than like he, he, he makes a promise with him. It says he makes a promise in the Lord with him. He makes a promise three times. This is kind of like those of you who've gotten married who say, I love this person and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to make a vow. I'm going to say my life is going to be laid down for yours, better or worse, no matter what happens. And that is what Jonathan would give to David. Undying loyalty. Made a covenant with David. It says in chapter 8, 3, just with David. Interesting, he made a covenant with David's household. Chapter 20, verse 16, it's your household that I want to embrace. And then in chapter 23, 18, he makes a covenant with David's throne. He basically says, you're the king. You're the rightful king. That covenant, you know, I, I, I've been blessed, as you know, with the greatest of women in loving my wife, best friend, Katie. And that we stood together on June 13th, 1987, and we said, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, rain or shine, good days and bad, when cancer comes, when betrayal comes, you know, when, when loss comes, I'm with you. I vow before God to stand with you. And she made the same to me. And again, it, it's, it's, it's not the same as marriage, but it's similar in that language of covenant that David would say, I give you my undying loyalty. What a friend. And how does he do it? He gives him his robe. Jonathan gave David his robe. And what is his robe? It's his identity. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe and he gave it to David. Think of the prodigal son story. Remember when the prodigal son came back, the younger son? And remember, he came back from a far off and he squandered everything. What does the father say? Put the best robe on that boy. He's mine. He's got to have my identity. Go get the best robe and you make sure my boy has it. And here's David saying, here, let me tell you something. I got some royal signature here. This is the finest robe that we could make. This was given to me because I'm the crown prince, but I take off my robe and I give it to you, David. I give you my identity. Then gave David, Jonathan gave David his armor. What's that? It's his security. He gave him his armor. He gave him his sword. He gave him his bow. He gave him his belt. He said, here you go, David. I love you, man. I'm with you, man. I mean, we are together. And I'm going to give you my security. I'm going to lay my arms down before you. But let me tell you about Jesus. The prophet Jeremiah said that there would be one who would come that would give us a new covenant. The one who is a new covenant in his blood. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus gave us a new covenant in his blood that was shed for us. And, and in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, it says this, talking about the Lord's Supper and the fulfillment at that Passover meal. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood that is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. But here's the reality. Jesus gave his dying loyalty to his sheep. It wasn't just words. He gave it. John 10, 11 and 15 says, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. 
Verse 15, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Talk about costly loyalty. Jesus gave his dying loyalty to his friends. In that, in that upper room in John 15, verse 13, he tells his disciples, the knuckleheads are going to run from him, that are all going to turn from him. He tells them, he says, listen, greater love has no man ever known than this, that someone should lay his life down for his friends. And you're my friends. And I'm going to lay my life down for you. It's Jesus who gave his dying loyalty to us, his bride, his church. Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. It's Jesus who gave up the best robe. The Father's robe. Listen to this. It's the righteousness of God the robe of Christ that he's given to us, that he robes us with his righteousness. It's not enough that he cleanses us from our sins with his blood. It's not enough that we're clean. We've got to be made beautiful and spotless. And the righteousness of Christ robes us. He gave us the identity of the Father, the identity of God as he robes us in his righteousness. It's Jesus who gives us the armor, the armor of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be our security, our guide, our guarantee of more to come. Yeah, Jonathan loved David, it says, as his own soul. Christian, Jesus has loved us as his own soul. Jesus and Jesus alone. Jonathan maybe somewhat came closer than the rest of us, but Jesus and Jesus alone perfectly fulfilled the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself while he was filling the greatest commandment to love the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his strength. David and Jonathan will go down in history of one of the greatest friendships ever. But Jesus entered history to show us the greatest of loves, to show us the greatest of friendships. Friend of sinners like me. And now it's our turn to respond to that love. To love him in response to the one who's loved us. To love our neighbor is the way he's loved us. And respond to say, God, give us the grace to love you back. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that greater love That greater love has the world ever seen or known than Jesus. Laying his life down for us. Father, I pray that we never lose sight of that love. That in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our darkness, in our despair, that we would know that we are loved, that we would know of the cost 
of Jesus' love for us and how unusual it is of a God who is that would come and be our friend and a God who would share us his righteousness and shed his own blood and promise us a future with him. God, may we respond to that love. It'll never be enough. But God, may the love of Christ compel us, knowing that he who died for us, it's our turn now to die to ourself and live for him. God, may this church be known as those who love you and who love their neighbors as themselves. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.